Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hey, leaders, welcome back. As you know, I'm Ledge. I'm a managing partner of Ad One Zero. And our guest today is Tom Murphy. He's the CEO and founder of Solicit. And Tom, I told you, I, I always like the guests to give their own intro. I, I can't do it justice like you could. You live in this every day. So tell us about you and uh, Solicit. So Solicit, uh, at its core, is a decisioning engine, decisioning platform developed. It's actually conceptually, it was born about 20 years ago, but it was a bit too early for the technology that was available at the time. More than the technology, in truth, it was it was the the market's ability to accept what was possible with that technology, right? So we 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 put on mothballs for uh, the better part of uh, two decades and um, relaunched in well, we relaunched January of 2018. We started we formed the company October of 17. So just a little more than three years ago, and four million dollars ago, um, we started building what we have now. And what we have today is four products, either in the market or in development, and uh, and two professional services that support those products. Yeah, and it's just so everybody that doesn't know the the background of the company you service the automotive industry in, in a particular fashion, right? So yeah, fill yeah. that, fill the gaps in on that. So. Yeah, so so it was born again conceptually uh, out of my own experience, right? So so as most are, I guess. But I started in the auto industry in 1985. And um, owned and operated stores until just at 2000, not late 99, when, again, this, this was born conceptually. And originally, our intent was to help manufacturers be more efficient in their determination and communication of retail incentives. In the auto industry alone, that's about $120 billion a year uh, that is spent very poorly. In that industry, it happens to be their second uh, largest line item expense after sheet metal. So it's it's a it's a big uh, opportunity, for lack of a better word, and we're pursuing that. Along the way, we've discovered that there's an opportunity to help the dealers as well use the same platform to leverage some very similar inefficiencies, and uh, so that's what we're doing today. We're we're working for both manufacturers and uh, and dealers. And the objective would be their year software, if I understand correctly, looks for opportunities to better utilize those retail incentives such that, you know, you don't have to, as a dealer, apply an incentive to a buyer, maybe it was going to pay sticker anyway. Is it, is it that kind of, that's a very simplistic version, but. Yeah, you, you're, you're mixing the two really, because okay. the incentives, are, incentives are the domain of the manufacturer, right? Um, and, okay. and they use incentives to drive the market 
so that the market buys more from their dealers so that the dealers will buy more from them. So, so the incentive kind of, you know, traditionally is offered by the manufacturer to, to the consumer to incent uh, uh, sales. And that's what we all see on those car commercials where, you know, a thousand dollar cash back, something, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or seven or 10 or, you know, some or 20% of MSRP or something like that. The point being when they make those statements, they're offering, you know, a static and indiscriminate amount that is almost always too much or too little to serve the purpose. In other words, you know, imagine for a moment, uh, I'm offering you $10,000, let's say. Um, well, what are the odds that 10000 is exactly what you needed to, to get that deal to put together, right? Uh, the odds of it being 10000 are no greater or less than 9408 or or 11614 right? In other words, there, there's, there's a, an infinitesimal possibility that they hit it exactly right. And, they're, and the, so in almost every circumstance, they are either over or under incenting the opportunity. And there's costs associated with both, right? If you under, if you under incent, you miss opportunities, sales opportunities that otherwise would have been made available. And if you over incent, you're paying more for those opportunities than you should have. So we, we enable, our platform enables um, real-time determination of those incentives so as to distribute just what is needed to accomplish the end of selling the vehicle. That's on the OEM side. On the dealer side, we've, we've, discovered that we can leverage the platform in such a way that it exploits some blind spots, uh, for lack of a better word, in the dealer's operations, right? And so we recognize this. Um, we went to market with it, a proof of concept, and thought we would move the needle for a dealer, say, from 33% closing to 40 right? Because we were uncovering additional revenue that they weren't recognizing um, associated with the sale. So if we can bring more money to the table, well, then more deals can be made, right? And so we thought we would move it, you know, incrementally, say 33, 35% to 40, um, and we'd have something to talk about. What we found was it was far greater than that. The dollar amounts available are far greater than that. So the impact we can have is far greater than what we what we had hoped. Right, right. It's just, generally speaking, it sort of seems like uh, almost like a market and information asymmetry. You're solving a problem where there just was an inefficiency in moving that that data around and you so you get to expose that so now we have effectively a more efficient market for both sides of that equation and therefore more sales get done yeah it really is a win 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 uh it's a win for the manufacturer because it costs them less it's a win for the dealer because they sell more it's a win for the consumer because they pay less and it's a win for us because we get to, to extract part of that efficiency for ourselves. Right. Well, okay. So that sounds like a Goldilocks story and everybody should be a, a part of it. Tell us about, you know, the 20 year journey. So they're like, and anybody that doesn't know, you have to look up Tom, because like literally there's articles that they call them the, the 20 year startup that, you know, I, I found it on, on Google. So yeah, and that's, and, and these are real things. I mean, this is the real stuff of making an idea, right. And first of all, timing. And then, you know, actually the ability to bring it to market. So is there, is there in fact the capability uh, to exploit on an opportunity, even when you, you see one? I mean, you have a lot of good wisdom there. I'd love if you kind of broke some of those stories down. Well, I have to, I have to agree with you. Um, I was just sharing with one of our investors a few weeks ago now 
you know, I called him, you know, on my drive home, as I often do, and just was sharing with him, you know, the events of the day. He's a board member. And I said, you know, <laughs> this is really hard stuff. You know, I feel for the entrepreneurs out there who don't have all of the advantages that we've 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 had the benefit of. Right. In other words, you, you can have a really great idea, which we believe we do. It can be really the scope can be, you know, tremendous, which we believe ours is. You can work really hard, which we believe we do. You can have all the resources that you need, which we have, and you can still fail, right? So I feel for all those guys out there who lack any of those, because with all of those, it's been a heck of a struggle, right? It's, it's been a fight the whole way. And just when you think you have all your problems solved, you know, you discover a whole new set of them, right? So like we were talking about before, uh, you and I earlier. So specifics along the way, the 20 years, what accounted for the 20 years was uh, really primarily a glitch in the USPTO Patent and Trademark Office. When we applied for our patents uh, in 99-2000, uh, we were just issued another one actually last month, uh, another patent with I think 15 or 18 claims that obviously we're excited about. But um, so, so we went to market, didn't have the staying power to stay in the sales cycle for the OEMs because back then we were focused exclusively on the OEMs and we were a little naive when it comes to the sales cycle involved. But we knew we had something, we were getting great responses, um, but we didn't have the, the reserves to stay in uh, the sales cycle for a couple of years at that point. But we had, we had you know, developed the IP and filed that. And we thought we would, we would use a customer agreement to raise the next round. When that didn't happen, we decided to put on ice, wait for the patents to issue which we were told would take two or three years, which is that was the, the history then. Um, so we thought, OK, we'll kind of go get a job and pay for life and come back in two years when the patents issue. And we use that as the event, the milestone against which to raise the next round so we could have an up round. Uh, unfortunately, though, it was precisely then that the PTO got very guarded about systems process, systems and methods, patents, particularly business process uh, particularly as it relates to the internet, because they didn't know what they didn't know, right? E-commerce was really just being born. So what we were told would take two or three years took 11 and 13, respectively, for those patents to issue. So, you know, I mean, we're waiting for these patents to issue, not knowing it was going to be 11 or 13 years, just knowing it's been four. Oh, it's been six. Oh, it's been so. Well, as you might expect, you know, the principals at that point had kind of found themselves in careers rather than jobs, and uh, myself included. So while the patents issued in 2010 and 12, we didn't really spin this back up until the timing was right and the money made itself available in 2018. Wow, what a what a journey there. So looking back, do you resent that at all? You know, that you wish you could start back then or was it actually like sort of a blessing in disguise? You mean the the, the delay from- The delay, yeah. I mean, a lot of learning probably happened across that 10 years that, you know, like you were ruminating on it or, you know, like, I don't know, you know, I, yeah, doors open yeah. and close at the right time kind of thing. Well, if, I, if how honest can we be, right? We could be I, as honest as you want. <laughs> I've got a really good friend who's been very, very successful. And, um, you know, if, if, if we find success with this, my success may equal his, could even eclipse it. But he still wins. He still won. Because he's had the, the, you know, the, the benefit of the last 20 years of enjoying that success, right? So if, if I resent or regret anything, it's that you know, we haven't had the experience over those 20 years 
I'm 20 years older, right? And and what could I have done with those 20 years had the opportunity been there then? So, you know, but but a very smart guy told me a long time ago that you can't move the market and that that uh, that there's little difference between a bad idea and an idea before its time. So we just had to wait till our bad idea became a good idea because the market had evolved. That That's a huge lesson. Timing is so much of, of what makes success and you just don't know. So you can, and you, you not only have to have the idea and execute like exactly the right time, but you know, it's just like a million variables you can't control even when you have, you know, kind of all the things just, just like you said, and now, okay, well, all the things have aligned as far as you can tell. Right. And it's, it's still hard. Uh, so, you know, like from a day-to-day basis, I just talk about that, you know, the, in the founder seat there where you're trying to you're trying to move a mountain to get an industry reeducated. And of all things I've, I've ever found, like when you're the innovator, uh, the education is the most expensive part. Yeah. Well, for me, the, the, the biggest struggle is finding that comfort zone, if you will, between being, you know, focused and disciplined. Right. Because because you can fail if you you know, if, if the next shiny object grabs your attention. Right. I mean, you've got to be very focused. But at the same time, if you focused on the wrong things or you focus your energy in the wrong direction, when you have so many, you know, you got 360 degrees of opportunity. Right. And you focus on this one. Well, you know, at what point are you supposed to to pivot and, uh, and, and turn your energy somewhere else that might be productive? So th- that contradiction of. Am I not being focused enough or am I being obstinate and not recognizing other opportunities? I haven't, I haven't met anyone yet who can give me a great barometer for making that decision, right? So that's the one that haunts me and keeps me up nights. Oh, that, that is, that's going to resonate with every founder that's listening right now. As you know, like they tell us to niche down and focus, 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 focus. What if I have my blinders on and I miss another opportunity. So how do you stay agile enough to pay attention and not get distracted? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, it's funny because on the way in the office today, phone lines I, are open. If anybody has the answer, we want you to call right now. <laughs> so. Please. Please. I'm all ears. Yeah. I, I was sharing with my COO on the way in and I feel for her because I, I ask her to maintain the focus, right. And the execution is her responsibility. And, 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 you know, so, so I've kind of split it up where I get to be kind of aware or open to all these other opportunities. But at the end of the day, whatever path we choose, she's got to execute against, you know, she's got to also then hear me try to make those decisions of what we're supposed to be focusing on and participate in that, but then put her blinders on. And so it's, that's a delicate balance too, is, is at what point are you distracting your key people you know, you have really smart people. You surrounded yourself with the best you can find. And, you know, on the one hand, it's let them do the job you hired them to do, right? Get out of their way. But you also want to lean on them for their wisdom, right? And, and, and their guidance and they're intimately involved. So you want to leverage that because it's as much theirs as yours at a certain point. So, you know, it, 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 that, that indecision is, is the dangerous part in my, in my view. Right, right. Yeah, I've, I've seen companies try to, you know, thread this needle with like, okay, we're going to have, you know, sort of innovation every other Wednesday, you know, where, where we're allowed to, you know, take the blinders off and let's all, you know, sort of participate and, you know, CEO gives their full 
uh, rundown of, you know, the market space. Okay. And now, you know, let's put that into notes and let's, you know, sort of go back to executing that. So in a sense that the, the future scape gives at least context for the work, but you're right. Like sort of just segmenting and, you know, mm -hmm. encapsulating innovation uh, when you're an idea person is, <laughs> is brutally difficult. And I, I can relate to this because, you know, in some senses, doing the regular work is boring to us. You know, we just mm. want to start things and, and make new things and then, you know, yeah. kind of keep running down, down the road. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, thankfully, one thing uh, the last 20 years has bestowed upon me is self-awareness, yeah. right? And while I may not do the things I should do, I'm at least aware of the fact that I'm neglecting them, right? And, yeah. uh, and, and I can, you know, I can moderate that uh, to, to the extent that, uh, that the, the business can tolerate. But yeah, there's definitely, you know, areas of the endeavor that um, that I prefer. I, I can't wait to hire my replacement so I can focus on those things that that not only do I enjoy, but because I enjoy them, I think I do them very well. Right. That seems to be self-fulfilling. Right. You, you're good at the things you like and you like the things you're good at. Right. And right now in this role, like most entrepreneurs um, who wear the CEO hat, you know, it's such a all encompassing responsibility that nobody's good at all of it right mm -hmm. and and certainly not expert at all of it and i just can't wait till we get to the point where i can do what i'm expert at and hire others to do what they're expert at exclusively right so but for us i mean the challenge just it keeps compounding uh you know i liken it to amazon and their growth strategy and that you know their ability to keep selling the future and that vision while building a company but not 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 turning out much in the way of profit, at least historically for for the longest time. You know, they just kept reinvesting, reinvesting, and building the base. Um, for us, it's kind of gone the other way. We introduced a product to the market that was disruptive, and and like so many other products that are introduced to the market that are disruptive, we had to find our where we fit. You know, in the existing ecosystem of solutions that our that our target audience is working with, right? So we have. We had, to, we had to figure that out. And what we discovered was they don't have it figured out, right? So in order for us to fit properly and not break everything they're already doing, we've got to go in and, and, and insert ourselves in a thoughtful way. That exposed to us all the things they weren't doing well. Thus was born the consulting practice, right? Because now, now we go in and we, we try to fix all of those other broken connections, if you will, um, because we were coming in to break them to begin with. So if we're going to break it, you got to fix it, right? So, so but it wasn't just fix what we're right here, what we're breaking. It was fix the spectrum of, you know, the, 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 the uh, domino effect that that has on this ecosystem of solutions. Anyway, I, I'm speaking primarily about the dealer audience right now. Dealers, I think the, I think the last survey I, I saw leverage 10 or 12 different uh, uh, solutions and solution providers, almost as many. So they're, they're, they're really torn between, you know, I've got this new disruptive product that is unique 40%. There's overlap in 60%. I really want the 40, but what do I do with the 60 overlap? And how do I make those work with everything else that I've got going on? I mean, the managers, you know, the, the, the GMs, GSMs that we talk to, it, it's, it's amazing the amount of time and energy that goes into solving the technical challenges that they face not to mention the fact that it requires that they maintain a level of expertise in all these different realms to know 
what this particular offering is best at and what they need, right? So yeah, so so for us, it, the problem keeps getting bigger, uh, you know, and 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 you know, another way of looking at that, of course, is the opportunity keeps getting bigger. But here we are, Amazon, right? We keep re- we keep discovering bigger opportunity because what that leads to then is is digital retail, which has everybody's attention now, particularly given COVID. So there's digital retailing consulting that needs to go on that 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 is out there and it is is calling us, if you will. So there's you know there's just more opportunity than we can um, than we can exploit or find the people to to and other resources to leverage uh, to exploit those opportunities. Yeah. Well, you know, the interesting thing is that you described it as if, you know, well, maybe that's, you know, just sort of the dealer, you know, environment and management is like, and, and I'm sure everybody in any business is listening to this and going, that's exactly what it's like to put software in our business. You know, it's right. like that it, it, in a sense, every point solution introduces an opportunity to fix something else. And you right. get this like constellation approach and then that overlapping sort of, you know, massive Venn diagram of features and like, what am I trying to accomplish? And, uh, you know, ultimately we're all sort of looking at, you know, death by a thousand SAS cuts and, <laughs> and which one can I, and we don't want to be one of those, right? Exactly. Yeah. Which is the, which is what yeah. every point solution provider, you know, adds a ton of value and disruption for the sake of disruption is not a good Thing. Right. And I think right. that that we've all learned that in the software space, like don't just break stuff. And then you're right. Well, you know, there are either other consultants or consultants that we provide or one way or another, it's real hard to take off the services hat. And everybody wants to be an MRR software company. However, you will very often have to be a consulting company in one way or another or have a hell of a partner ecosystem to deliver those values. You know, it's it's funny. In my earlier life, I, I worked for uh, a software provider, SaaS provider, in the automotive space, and um, you know, we were we were innovative and best of breed and all that kind of fun stuff, and we're ultimately acquired. And you know, names everybody in our industry would know. But in my experience there, working and helping to build performance management, my boss used to bristle if anybody made the mistake of of mentioning consulting, mm-hmm. right? And I thought it was because we focused on results, which we did, and we got results, right? And and I thought it was because consultants typically give you the formula, but don't they're not they don't hold themselves accountable to results. They just here's the formula, good luck to you, right? And that's so counter to who we were and what we did. That's that's what I attributed that to. What I realized now was it was just as much him saying we're not going to get sucked down that 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 whirlpool. We're not going there. Right. We're don't even mention consulting to me. Um, so he, he had he had already recognized that if we let ourselves, it's very easy to um, do a lot of consulting for not a lot of money. Right. And, and, and you know, if you want to be results oriented, it's got to cost a lot of money because you're focusing on the end result anyway. But that's that's kind of what we're we're getting drawn into is by by going forward and saying, hey, we've got this disruptive technology that will give you a real advantage, which it does, you know, it, it's all the then what? Well, but then what, you know? Yeah. And so we go in and we fix that. And so all we're doing now is is figuring out how to monetize that work, which we've got to do anyway, right? In order to not be, or in order to be disruptive in a productive way, not a non-productive way. 
Right, right. Uh, I mean, what you're saying resonates so much with anybody that has tried to do this type of solution in any industry. You need mm. to figure out the onboarding, implementation, discovery, you know, so all the things that make it possible to plow the road to put your disruptive thing in, which will in mm. fact make more money down the road. And you're really just describing like the, the balance of a customer versus provider cash flow gap. You know, that is essentially what's happening there. We all know if we could turn this up right now, it would start spitting cash out. The question always becomes, what's the distance between now and when yeah. you get to push that button? And mm -hmm. uh, such a difficult thing. This is why distribution partnerships happen and VARs and, you know, partnerships with consulting companies. And you either build it yourself or you train somebody else to do it. Of course, then you need to learn how to train somebody else to do it. And you need to develop the training program to have somebody else do it. So we might as well do it internally, but it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of money and effort because we actually wanted to get to point B. And, and this is a very normal cycle. Uh, so I hope everybody's listening because if you were setting out to do a point solution in a legacy industry, this is exactly what is going to happen to you. And there are innumerable opportunities to, you know, sort of get stuck in this flypaper. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, we had already come to the realization that our, our offering was valuable enough and disruptive enough that, and we're unique in, you know, in that it's, it's, you know, blue ocean, greenfield, call it what you want. It, it's white space. It, it's just, there, there's, it's space that no one else occupies. And so, you know, um, we obviously want to get our product out there as as broadly and quickly as we can but you know you run into these realities which is okay if, but implementing over here did this this and this mm -hmm. and suddenly you're mired in like you said all that legacy reality right mm -hmm. so yeah for us it's just a matter of of monetizing the work we had to do anyway but you know early on we, we recognized we had a really valuable solution so all the, the, the VARs, the strategic partnerships, all of that, we right away said, oh, we don't want to build that competency. You know, if this company's already got that sales team, for instance, calling on the same target audience, why not just be a tool in their bag, right? And that has pluses and minuses. Yep. But on balance, we said, you know what, we want to stay as small as we can, as focused as we can, just make our product the only consideration in our space, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we thought we were kind of limiting the range of responsibilities we were affording ourselves and then this happens right and, and we, we we start implementing and open up this whole other side of business which we again don't want to be in but but if we got to do the work we may as well monetize it right right or you know at least do the work for a while until you figure out how to productize and then figure out how to bring on partners to do it and you know it's like this this dance is it never stops because every new opportunity requires a new competence and you know, sort of more humans. And then you don't want to get your service side of your business to scale linearly and crush your gross margins, you know, which you intended to be, you know, a more like a SaaS company. So, right. you know, right. yeah, I mean, everybody who has touched this world is now um, at least nodding up and down. And so thank you, Tom, for, you know, <laughs> so yeah. making yeah, us yeah. all realize we're not alone. So yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. Yeah, good. I, I, you know, on balance, I guess they're good problems to have, but yeah. they're, they're they're their own little Rubik's cube, each of them, you know, that have to be solved. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Well, so. Hopefully, go ahead. I was gonna say, put your, 
put your next few years hat on now. You know, things are moving the right directions. Uh, you know, like invoices are going out, customers are paying, and you know, there are a million opportunities. Uh, what are you thinking about, you know, as you as you try to do the the futurist vision of of your company and the space that you're in? Well, so on the one hand, there's the product evolution. On the other hand, there's the 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 consulting opportunity, right? I mean, because there is a very real disconnect, I believe, in the industry. If I'm to talk about the services for a moment, you know, everybody in our industry, uh, automotive, which by the way, our product and our IP isn't limited to automotive. Um, it applies to any any product or service that has a a similar distribution channel, mm-hmm. right? Where you've got um, and, and and product price or service price has something to do with it as well. It has to be a, a large enough purchase that it, it requires consideration and 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 perhaps even to some degree shopping. But anyway, you know our industry automotive is very focused on on digital retail now. We we've been focused on it, you know, given lip service to it, if you will. And given rise to some very uh, generic platforms over the years, but what's really with COVID and, and people not going out as much and wanting to do more online, we're suddenly forced as an industry to take it very seriously. And kind of that, you know, whoever gets there first wins, right? And what I found is the the industry has this desire to plug in one solution that'll do it all, right? And the problem with that is that is that solution doesn't exist. You still have to integrate that platform with all of your other, you know, um, business processes. And so, you know, to me, the answer is not any new solutions. It's properly weaving together the solutions you already have or the solutions you will have, you know, for their own unique value, right? And, and making all of that, um, which which is relevant and useful in the physical world, right? Because the, the industry was built around customer comes in and you engage and we have all these solutions to help us engage and to speed the process and all that kind of stuff. So, so the notion of, of a good customer experience and these solutions that support that, or at least profess to, we've made all those selections already. We, we, so really all we have to do is extend all of those decisions and capabilities online and there's no one solution out there that's going to do that because they're all best of breed. I selected this best of breed combination and I've deployed them all. I can't substitute for that. They remain best of breed. And there's no one platform out there that's going to become suddenly best of breed in all these different areas. Right. So if I want to, if I want to maintain that best of breed utilization and I want to do so in a cohesive way and to extend that then into the digital realm. To me, it's that's the that's the answer to digital retail, not a plug and play platform that is vanilla across all these 31 flavors. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And again, this happens <laughs> in every every industry. You have what we would call, you know, the sweeted solutions or the, you know, sort of one size fits all where you jam, you know, the 20% that made you unique, you have to jam it into the 80% software or you have an ecosystem of a collection of a dozen or more point solutions that are all best of breed. And then you now have introduced a massive integration problem where data needs right. to move around all those things. And you get to hire consultants to help you, you know, figure that out. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, what, what, we, what we've discovered, um, you know, and, and really what we're, 
trying to um, codify now is is the gains right if you can if you can develop that competency right or if you can hire it or whatever but if you can achieve that that reality where all the stuff's best of breed and it's all working together what we're finding is it's it's huge in terms of well obviously there's cost savings because we you discover that you know these two are redundant in a way that they weren't before but one has developed to a point that now they are and nobody's looking at that so we can kick that one out and simplify the chain and reduce costs right so there's some of that but but really we're giving back so much time i mean there's so much redundancy when a when a, a new offering comes along almost by definition it has to be redundant uh to prove itself mm-hmm. right and so that's 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 one of the hardest things to do is change behavior and get people to engage a new environment that they're not used to engaging, but to prove its value. So we, like many, had to do that. And uh, very quickly, we've realized that that is a much bigger hurdle than any product can overcome. You've really got to insinuate yourself into the existing ecosystem. Otherwise, you're kind of out there on your own and, and easily forgotten. Sage advice. I, I yeah, I love this because uh, people are going to take a lot away from it. So, Tom, thanks, thanks for the you know the insights and the and the honesty and the experience. I mean, you are absolutely nailing it, and it's it's very relevant to anyone doing a point solution you know development. Yeah, so, yeah. I wish I had more answers. Well, um, I feel like I've just left you with a bunch of questions, but. They're the ones we're facing. You, and we facing. You've left a lot of empathy uh, that we can all at least relate to that we're not alone when we are doing exactly the same thing and slamming our head against that wall. <laughs> you know, I think if anybody well, solves yeah. that, that's going to be a great book. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. To the extent that uh, knowing I have to get a root canal makes your root canal less painful. Right, right. Yes, God bless. God bless. Thank you for coming on and doing that. <laughs> so, well, if anybody wants to have a conversation, you know, about business, obviously from the dealer side or the OEM side, um, or just, you know, entrepreneurship in general and, and your, you know, advice and expertise, what's the best way to reach you in the company? Probably via email, I would think. I mean, you can go on our website and contact, contact us through there. Just use the contact form, obviously, or you can, uh, you can just reach out to me, T. Murphy, T-M-U-R-P-H-Y at Solicit, which is spelled S-C-I-L-I-C-E-T. All right. Hey, Tom, thanks for hanging out. This was really cool. All right, Thank you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.